Hello, everybody, and we are back. You are listening to Inside the Glass on KAMP Camp Student Radio, the one and only podcast and radio show here in Tucson, 100% dedicated to providing you up-to-date news and information about hockey. I am your host, Rob Liano. Alongside with me here today is Eric Clock. We are finally back after a lengthy break. And man, this was a packed week of hockey news. It was insane. Yeah, Max. it's almost going to be hard to fit all this into a uh, one-hour show, Absolutely. for sure, especially with the uh, Zetterberg news breaking this morning. Absolutely. Let's get, that, let's get to that in just a minute. But uh, Max Pacioretty, the Vegas Golden Knights, Steve Eiserman steps down as general manager of the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Tucson Roadrunners giving up for the third season of the in the Old Pueblo. That and much more on this episode of Inside the Glass, too. So to start off this episode, let us talk about that breaking news. Henrik Zetterberg decides to retire from the game of hockey. I, you yourself are a Red Wing fan. Tell us I am. about like what this means to Detroit fans. Well, really, Zetterberg was the last big holdover from that great era of Red Wings hockey that lasted between, you know, 97 and 2008 when the Wings won four Stanley Cups, you know, made the playoffs 25 years in a row. And, um, you know, he was really the last great, great Red Wing from that era of hockey in Detroit. So it means a ton to the team. It means a ton to the city. And it's uh, really sad to see him go. For sure. I think the saddest part is reading the reason why he's retiring. Oh, yeah. It's health-related. So for those who don't know, that he is retiring because he's suffering from a degenerative back issue. Right. Um, so he's having some you know, muscle problems with his back, and it's become uh, you know, uh, you know, an aching problem to him. And he decides, hey, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, you know, apparently these uh, back issues have been really plaguing him over the past few years. It's almost a miracle that he's really played as long as he's had with them. Um, even dating back to January of this year, he stopped practicing and was only playing in games for the Red Wings just because his back could not handle the extra ice time in practice. And uh, when the season ended, Zetterberg played in all 82 games last year, incredibly, and when the season ended, he really hoped that his back would start getting better, that he'd be able to start training in the offseason the way that he wanted to, you know, the way that an almost 39-year-old would need to, you know, to get back on the ice. But uh, he was unable to do that, so he began seeing doctors, began seeing specialists, and the final specialist that he saw, who was the doctor that performed back surgery on him in uh, 2014, you know, um, during the uh, the last Olympic year, you know, that was the last major back surgery Zetterberg had. That was the last major time that he really missed um, a significant portion of any Red Wing season. Um, and that doctor, who's you know a world-renowned specialist, said that you should not continue playing hockey. He basically said one bad hit and you'd be in real trouble. And then just yeah, just hearing that is just incredibly sad because uh, again, as 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 you've mentioned, you know. Part of the great era of the Red Wings, you know, that's, oh, yeah. that was, um, you know, I, I don't I, like what, what, what was that? Part of the yeah, part of the guys that went twenty five years straight in yeah he was in, in the uh, in the playoffs and man like that that tells you something about you I mean know, and that he was team. and just to speak to the character of the man too you know he was the captain of the Detroit Red Wings he was filling the shoes of guys like Nick Lidstrom and Steve Eiserman you know it's not just any hockey player that gets to captain a team like the Detroit Red Wings and Zetterberg had that honor for. Uh, Several seasons, you know, he was a top five, top 10 player in the world in the late 2000s 
for sure. You know, Conn Smythe Trophy winner in 2008 when the Red Wings won their most recent Stanley Cup. And um, he was just, he meant so much to the Red Wings, especially him and Pavel Datsuk up front um, as that dominant one-two punch, you know, in uh, line one, line two center in, in the uh, late 2000s and early 2010s. We will now have to see, though, how how the, the Ken Holland and the uh, Red Wings decide to attack this. Well, spot. from what I've read this morning, Ken Holland, he's not officially retiring. He's just not playing another game of hockey. He's kind of unofficially retiring. So what they're doing is they're going to put him on the long-term injured reserve, which is going to give the Red Wings cap relief. It's going to give the Red Wings some flexibility to operate over the next couple of seasons here without having his $6 million cap hit on the books. But, yeah, for all practical intents and purposes, Zetterberg is done playing hockey. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see how uh, the Red Wings move forward from, from this in the future. Um, so with that said, we're just going to move go to our first original piece of, of news that we were going to talk about this week because this broke the, uh, the Zetterberg broke this morning. But let's go ahead and talk about what we wanted to talk about earlier. Is So this was at the beginning of this week, Max Pacioretty has been uh, traded – from the Montreal Canadiens to the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, so here are the trade details, Eric, and then we can go ahead and talk about it. So to Vegas is Max Pacioretty, and to Montreal is Thomas Tatar, Nick Suzuki, and a 2019 second-round draft pick. Who won this trade? I think Montreal did, you know, after a series of bad trades by Mark Bergevin, I think that he actually turned it around a little bit and got some pretty decent return out of this deal. You know, Tatar's been a 20-goal scorer in this league now for some time pretty consistently. So you're giving up, you know, 10 to 15 goals compared to what you would get with Max Pacioretty. I mean, I think that's a given in a deal like this. But then again, you also get a top-end prospect like Nick Suzuki and that second-round draft pick. You know, it's really was the right deal for the Montreal Canadiens at this point in time, you know, in the rebuild that they're in right now and uh, all that. I don't know. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. I mean, the uh, I saw the trade, and I was like, that's a high price for a guy you might only have for a few years, um, Max and... Granted, like you're talking, we're talking Vegas right now, and Vegas shouldn't be focused on you know that they should be focused on a on keeping a team that can win in the long term, and it looks like that's not what they're doing. They're trying to win now. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting what Vegas is trying to do. You almost wonder if it's a bit too much, too fast from them, because I know that they made the Stanley Cup final last year in their first year. But what happens when all these guys that are older on their roster start dropping off, start going into the twilights of their careers, start retiring and everything? They're just not going to have the top-end prospects that they need to restock their uh, team going forward. And I think that if Vegas doesn't have success over these next couple of years, you know, they're going to have – they're going to be in a real tough spot Yeah, they, they with def- how they're acting. Yeah, def- they definitely will. And I, th- I think what makes things difficult – is um and we'll talk probably more about this in a little bit afterwards but the Pacific Division is getting tougher and they're not and like they're they're not just going to step down like it's 
Well, Pacioretty also signed a four-year extension worth $7 million annually, so he's in the Vegas, he's on the Vegas Golden Knights books for the next five years, so at least that's a positive for them. He's 29 years old, so he'll be playing with them till he's 34. Which is, it's not, yeah, that's pretty good. It's I not mean, bad. It's not bad at all. I mean, yeah, but the Pacific has gotten a lot tougher. That's a very good point. You know, you have Ilya Kovalchuk coming back from the KHL going over to uh, L.A., and then you have... Uh, Paul Statsny and Max Pacioretty both going to the Vegas Golden Knights, making them a much stronger team up front than they were last year. James Neal headed up to Calgary. Yeah, I think, but I think Pacioretty is an upgrade over Neal. Yeah, don't you? Yeah, I'd say so. But I mean, if I, you're to replace one player for one player, yeah. That's and then point. Paul Statsny, there's just no way that you can say that that isn't a great addition for Vegas. You know, a guy that's capable of playing on the first or second line. You know, soaking up a lot of minutes at. Um, a very hard position, you know, center. So I think that it's good for Vegas. But um, and then you have Arizona too, you know, acquiring Alex Galchenyuk over the offseason. That was the a huge one. That was a huge. And one. then there was the huge one that broke yesterday. Yeah, we will get to that. And we everyone knows what we'll we're get, talking we'll about. We'll get to that later. Everyone does know what we're talking about. At least everybody who knows hockey does know what we're talking about. But before we get to that, let's go ahead and go to the next uh, couple things we have on our list. So the uh, first one is the uh, news that Steve Eiserman has stepped down as general manager of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, your thoughts? What's next for this guy? You know, I mean, absolutely no one was expecting it. You know, when I saw the news break that morning of him stepping down and not fulfilling the final year of his contract as general manager of the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, it was a big surprise to me, like it was to everybody. Um, he will be in a senior advisory role for that final year of his contract, but he said the reason why he stepped down as GM is he wanted to go back to Detroit and be closer to his family. His family never left Detroit when he went down to Tampa Bay to become their general manager. Um, so my guess, maybe this is just wishful thinking on my part as a Wings fan, is that he's going to ride out this last year of his contract in Tampa Bay as a senior advisor, and then he's going to join the Red Wings in some capacity, whether that's as a general manager, as an assistant general manager, as an advisor, I don't know. But um, Ken Holland does have three years left on his deal, so that doesn't exactly leave an immediate opening for Iserman as the Red Wings general manager. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops over the course of this year. But you can definitely say that. I mean, like, yeah, so he wants to go back to, to Detroit. So he's very, very well has that high chance of, you know, getting a, a pretty high spot in the, in the Red Wings. Because we, we, we know the Red Wings, like, they still love the dude. Oh, very yeah. Much, so. Yeah, yeah. You know, like him and Gordie Howe, Nick Lidstrom, guys like that, those are the best players ever to play for that team. So if Eiserman wants a home with the Red Wings, like he'll get one. It's just a question of whether or not he wants it's, it. it. It's like the whole thing about um, Martin Brodeur temporarily leaving the uh, the Devils and then you know taking on a uh, a. He's working on the business side of things yeah, more yeah, on the, than on a business. Uh, he ended up just getting some kind of job over in the front office. Like it's yeah, it's right. that that was an interesting one too. Uh, no one was really expecting that because he was the assistant GM of the uh, St. Louis Blues for quite some time. And then he's just like, yeah, I want to go back to New Jersey. New Jersey. I mean, that, that's cool, but you have guys that want to do that. For example, Evgeny Nabokov is a, um, a like a specialty kind of advisor coach for the Sharks. What, for like goaltending or what? 
I think for goaltending, I, I I would assume for goaltending. Um, I gotta check more about that, but he is like kind of like a somewhat assistant coaching role in there. Well, what I think you could see too with uh, the whole Ken Holland situation is they could promote Ken Holland to something, you know, like president of hockey operations, promote him within Olympia Entertainment, which is the organization that owns both the Detroit Red Wings in the NHL and the uh, Detroit Tigers in the MLB. And then they would move uh, Steve Eiserman into the general manager role. They could do that, you know? Yeah, they very well could. And I think. Like that would just be such a big positive for the Red Wings. Oh, it would because you look what Eiserman did to build the Tampa Bay Lightning team that currently exists right now. Like that is probably one of the greatest teams we've probably seen in this modern era. Oh, he's been a fantastic general manager. I mean, that's why everyone was so shocked to see him step down the way that he did. You know, um, just. Everything about it's a little bit fishy. You know what I mean? There's yeah, just, just a lot of stuff that people are speculating about and wondering about. And uh, I guess time will give us answers. Yeah, it definitely was a complete shocker. But I guess only time will tell and we will find out more as comes probably maybe next week. We might have more news on it. Who knows? But uh, yeah. with that said, let's go ahead and just kind of like flow through this. Move on to the next one. Let's talk about the Ottawa Senators for a little oh bit. Oh, my God. Um, so earlier this week, I would say about two, three days ago, uh, the Senators released a video on Twitter that says, the you know, building the future of our franchise or something like that. And it's just... Well, the first thing that I think is hilarious about that video is that it's Matt Boriecki uh, interviewing Eugene Melnick in the video and it's like, is he now the face of the franchise? Like, that kind of just tells you the state of affairs right now with the Ottawa Senators. It's like, you couldn't get Duchesne to do it. You couldn't get Carlson to do it. You couldn't even get Matt Stone to do it. And, I mean, it's no disrespect to uh, Boriecki. Obviously, he's a good player. He's in the NHL. But the Senators are just a dumpster fire. I mean, it's like it's almost like no one's really noticing how bad of an offseason, like, the New York Islanders are having. People are even, like, not paying as much attention to the uh, Montreal Canadiens because of how bad the Senators have been this offseason. It's just, it's unreal. What's, That's the only word to describe it. What's surprising, though, is the fact that they had to release a video talking about essentially a complete and utter from-the-ground-up rebuild um, and I put it, I wrote on here, like, it's like a self-implosion of the team. Yet only a couple years ago, they were one goal away from the Stanley Cup final. And I don't, I know, I totally agree. It's the weirdest thing because, you know, they went to double OT with the Penguins, one goal away from the Stanley Cup final in the uh, 2017 Eastern Conference uh, finals. And now we're looking at a team that could potentially finish last this year earn the first overall pick and send that first overall pick over to Colorado because of the Matt Duchesne deal that is now backfiring and that's in, insanely. Yeah, in terms of all the other trades going on, everyone's saying like that Colorado's the ultimate winner of all the trades going on, like just because Ottawa's self implosion. Like yeah. it's Oh, like Colorado is getting a lottery pick from Ottawa this year, whether it's first overall or not, it's a huge win yeah, for when Colorado. You get, when you get a when, when you trade picks that are not lottery protected, man, that, like it was a really weird condition too on that first round pick when they sent it over to Colorado. I mean, those exist; those kind of the things do exist. Like you do have lottery pick protected. They do, ones, but, but they were. But what? 
what was so weird about it is when Ottawa was making this deal, they were making this deal thinking that, okay, we're the team that was one goal away from a Stanley Cup final appearance, but the condition attached was if the pick is a top 10 pick, Ottawa can elect to send their 2019 first rounder to uh, Colorado instead of their 2018 first rounder. So it was almost like Ottawa had a rebuild in the back of their mind when they were completing that trade. You see what I'm saying, Rob? Yeah, it's yeah, it's just so strange. I mean, it's just uh, everything about it. And I don't get this whole thing of like having PSAs on like, oh, hey fans, everybody guess what? We're doing a rebuild. Like New York did the same thing last year with that letter to their fans. I think the thing is like I get what they're coming from just like, hey, like we're going to get into this rebuild phase, but like and we appreciate you guys being fans. Just stick through the process and we'll be fine. But like you shouldn't have to do that. Like you, sh- you sh- fans should know when you're in- when a team is entering its rebuild phase, and it should be blatantly yeah, obvious. Yeah, yeah, there shouldn't be an announcement. It should be blatantly obvious. And if they are truly fans, they'd be okay with it. Like, of course, I wouldn't say okay with it. Like they'd be, they'd be like, oh well, we're just gonna be another what five, seven years of mediocrity, and then. After that, it's well, it's like, oh, okay, we're gonna be okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to find the numbers on it right now, but apparently, like, I was listening on the radio the other day, they were talking about the season ticket sales in Ottawa right now, and they're just like god awful. I think they only have like 4,000 seats sold for this year. Like, nobody wants to buy season tickets for the Senators this year. I mean, I don't blame anyone, but. It's just absolutely insane. It's like no one's even talking about how, you know, New York lost to Veras. I mean, we pretty much moved on from that one like two weeks afterwards. It kind of feels like. And then everyone went into immediately talking about what's going on, namely in Ottawa, but also in Montreal. Montreal has been having a pretty disastrous offseason, too. But it got a little bit better with that Pacioretty trade. Yeah, they were were able to do that, and that definitely helped. Um, And you could tell they did it. They're doing the rebuild right. Because of the way they're actually deciding to, tack, to tackle it, they are looking for top end prospects, and that's what they got. Like, but how deep do you want to go into a rebuild? I mean, look at what the Buffalo Sabers did for so many years. You know, trying to get guys like Aaron Ekblad, trying to get guys like Connor McDavid into their system. I would argue that Buffalo almost went too deep into their rebuild. They sold off too many assets, and they got too bad, almost to the point where. When they started getting young guys that were capable of stepping in and playing in the NHL, they didn't have enough depth as an organization to really exit that rebuild the way that they should. So if I was Eugene Melnick right now and if I was Pierre Dorian right now, I would really look at what happened to Buffalo over the past couple of years as a cautionary tale, you know, in pulling the trigger on this, you know, ground up rebuild that Ottawa's doing right now. I mean, Ottawa might be as bad as the twenty fourteen fifteen Buffalo Sabres this year. Let's just think about that for a second. That's going to be, yeah, wow. Just to think about that. Put it, they put might it be. The, put, put it into that perspective. Yeah, I, I can see it. I mean, based off of what they're doing right now, um, I mean, we, we're a little bit ahead of schedule if I want to if we want to move on to this. but now We can keep I, talking Ottawa. I mean, like, we're still, this is still technically Ottawa, but... Um, well, why don't we touch on them getting rid of Mike Hoffman too? I mean, that's okay. That was hilarious in my in my mind. Um, 
just the way that went down. They yeah, they decided to get rid of Mike Hoffman. I mean, I uh, personally to San Jose also. So so we trade Mike Hoffman to San Jose. You know, hoping he was like, okay, we got a good guy, but we're trying to rebuild. So like, it's like, all right, so. You're gone. You're going to San Jose, away from our conference. And then San Jose is like, hey, guess what? We're going to flip him back today. <laughs> like, Well, that brings up another point. Honestly, I don't understand why these real rebuilding teams think it's so important to trade their key guys outside of the conference. If you're going to be bad and if you're not going to contend for a playoff spot either way, why is it so important to send the guy to the other conference and limit your potential suitors You know, in a potential trade? I would think that you would want as many bidders as possible, you know, and you're going to be bad either way. It's not like the Senators are a bubble playoff team. If you're like St. Louis or something, right, and you're trading Paul Stastny last year, I know he went to Winnipeg, but let's say St. Louis only wanted to send him to the East because St. Louis was still fighting for a playoff spot and they didn't want that competition. I would have gotten it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But Ottawa is not going to contend for a playoff spot this year unless something absolutely insane like what happened with Colorado happens last year. They just, they just like find some kind of magic. Yeah, spark they just kick it into whatever. another gear. But do you you see what I'm saying? I mean, in Montreal did the same thing. They sent Galchenyuk over to Arizona and they sent Pacioretty over to Vegas. They wanted to send both of those guys outside of the conference. They sent Subin to Nashville. If you're going to be – well, actually, no. The Subin-Weber deal is different because when that deal was completed, Montreal was still a playoff team. But if you know that you're going to be bad, if you know that you're rebuilding, why why does it matter what conference they go to? Yeah, I think this is the thing about Ottawa is they're – like, they are so focused. Like, they are intensely focused on making sure their players that they want to trade away are not in their same conference. Um and well, now you got Hoffman in the same division. Yeah, they got Hoffman in the same division because they just weren't they just were just so not focused on that. They didn't realize what San Jose was trying to do when they did that. But I mean uh, I mean that's some pretty uh good um work by the San Jose Sharks though this offseason. They've had a very 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 good offseason. They had well, the interesting thing is they had a quiet offseason like oh so they had a great offseason leading up to opening a free agency. And then they just re-signed their guys because they couldn't get Tavares. Right. Um, and then they had, they were completely quiet. They got Bodker off the books. That got, was huge. Yeah, they got Bodker off the books because they that was part of the Hoffman trade. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also bought out Paul Martin, which I thought was a fantastic <laughs> deal to do. Is um, he over 35? Do you guys still have some of his cap hit on your books, or is it all yeah. off? Well, we have... Uh, the Sharks have to pay, like, I think a little bit of a cap hit over the next year okay. or two. But, yeah, it's not that bad. Um, but, yeah, I mean, buying out Paul Martin, fantastic idea. And then they all of a sudden had a lot of cap space, went for Tavares, didn't get him. But then they started – and then they re-signed Thornton, they re-signed Hurdle, um, and they got their key guys back, which was great. And then, you know, they were quiet for about two months. Mm-hmm. And then yesterday happened. Yeah, I think we can go into that one now. So um, I'll let you break the news. So yesterday I was, you know, fiddling on my computer getting ready for this show. And I just see this news article that says San Jose, a high contender, heavily pushing for Eric Carlson. So I start writing that in the script. About two minutes later, literally as I'm writing it, I look on Twitter, confirmed. 
Eric Carlson to the San Jose Sharks. I was like, wait, wait, wait. Let's rewind here. I was just, I'm confused. What? I was, I was in a state of just disbelief. Well, what I thought was just absolutely incredible about it is that San Jose did not give up any key pieces that they need right now to win. Because San Jose is a team that is in a win-now mode, and everyone knows it. You oh, know, yeah, they because... need to win now. Their core is, is getting older. You know, and all they did was really ship away um, role players, prospects, and a couple of draft picks, and then they get arguably the best hockey player in the world. I am a huge Eric Carlson fan. I still think that he's one of the best players in the world. I still think he's the best defenseman in the league. So He's had a bad year on a bad team last year. Yeah, as part of the Ottawa rebuild, Eric Carlson now gone from Ottawa to the San Jose Sharks, and here's what Ottawa gets in return. Be prepared for this long list of items. They get forward Chris Tierney, defenseman Dylan DeMello, forward prospects Josh Norris and Rudolph Balsers, as well as a first-round draft pick in 2019 or 2020, a second-round pick in 2019. So if the Sharks miss the playoffs in 2018 or 19, that first-rounder will be 2019. Otherwise, it's 2020. Uh, and then They won't miss the playoffs. They know. In addition, there are two... There are also two conditional picks involved where the deal goes as follows. Should the Sharks sign Carlson to a contract extension, Ottawa receives San Jose's second-round selection in 2021, which would upgrade to a first-round selection, not lottery-protected, if San Jose reaches the Stanley Cup final in 2019. And here is the other conditional pick that I find hilarious. If Carlson is on an Eastern Conference roster during the 2018-2019 season, the Senators will receive an additional first-round pick from the Sharks no later than 2022. They so basically, really... <laughs> they're just upset that the Sharks uh, previously you know, got them. Hoffman and then sent Hoffman immediately back to their same division. Oh, my God. But that is a long list of ideas. For the, but that last one is hilarious. But that's a, that's a long list. And everyone's like, "Oh, that's a like." I, I think I saw people was like, "Oh, that's a high price." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" No, it's let, not. Like, let me let, like let me break this down for you. Chris Tierney, he is never gonna be an he was never gonna be an elite guy. Uh, he was a he was the Sharks' third center, and he probably was never gonna be. Anything. He was a role player. Yeah, he was never gonna be higher than that. He's a role player. Um, Dylan Demello, your sixth defenseman. So role player, role player. Um, Josh Norris, prospect. He was first round 2017. Okay, you know. Great. Late first round, though. Yeah, late first round. Uh, Rudolph Spalsers, a guy who played pretty decently well on the Barracuda, but I did couldn't really see him. How old is he? Um, let me give... I'll find that out right now. Rudolph Spalsers. He's 21, so he's our age. Okay. So, I mean... He's not exactly 18. It's only with, like, the 18-year-old guys that you really don't know exactly what they're going to be. Yeah. And then, of course, you've got the draft picks, <laughs> which, you know, the Sharks don't really need those right now because they've got some pretty high-end prospects right now. they and got Eric Carlson. That's all you need so, to know. But here's the other thing, though, is everyone, at least all the Sharks fans, were thinking, it's like, oh, we're heavily pushing for Carlson. Oh, no. We're going to lose Hurdle. We're going to lose Ryan Merkley. We're going to lose uh, Timo Meyer or Jonas Donskoy. No, we didn't have to give up any of them. That's what's incredible about the trade. Ottawa didn't get any of those types of guys back from you guys. 
And that's why it's clearly a win for San Jose. Clearly. I mean, I don't see it any other way. Now you got Brent Burns and Eric Carlson, probably the two best offensive D-men in the league, arguably the two best offensive D-men in the league. Um, well, they are the two best to get. Like, like, yeah, it's just them and just them, them too. Like, you wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't. Think I mean, of any other I can't two. think of anyone else in that category. You're right. But the other thing is that people were saying, yeah, you got those two, which are you know the two best offensive defensemen, but you've got also Mark Edward Vlasic in there, who is also one of the best defensemen in the league. So you got three of the best defensemen in the league. Who who's uh, the other part of that top four outside of Vlasic? Um... Justin Braun. Okay. I mean, you can also go. You can also think um, maybe Joachim Ryan in there. He's a, he was a, he's he's generally would probably be likely a third pair, but he could probably fit in somewhere higher depending on where they're going to fit things. Doesn't matter. Here. That top three is nasty. I mean, it's going to be. Um, I mean, I'm just. In, still in a state of disbelief just because of how you can t- put it together. Let's say you put um, Eric Carlson and Justin Braun on the first pair and Mark Edward Vlasic and B- Brett Burns on the second pair. Like, Well, now what you also have to remember, too, is Brent Burns and Mark Edward Vlasic are now playing against like team second lines and they're second-tier players. And these guys so are top-tier. Brent Burns and they're top-tier guys. So, you know, Brent Burns might light it up on a scale, you know, that we have not seen from him yet just because now there's going to – now um, Pete DeBoer is going to have the option of having Eric Carlson on that top pair and really be able to um, – he's going to make it really hard for teams to slot against uh, – to play against the uh, Sharks just because of, like, what that blue line looks like. The Because you're not going to play uh, Burns and Carlson together. They're too similar as players, you know. There would just be way too much defensive liability. The only time I can see them together. Power play. Yep, exactly. That is exactly what will be on the power play. And just think about that. You put uh, – let's, let's think about it this way. So let's just say Joe Pavelski, Joe Thornton, Evander Kane – as your forwards. Oh, my God. I forgot Brett, that Evander Kane's back on the Sharks now. Brett Burns and Eric Carlson as your defenseman on the power play. Look at that. Those five. Just think the- about how many players now are going over from the Atlantic to the Pacific. Now that you mentioned Evander Kane, which we're just uh, a couple months removed away from, you know, from last year's trade deadline. You know, you got Galchenyuk, you got Kane, you got Pacioretty, you got Carlson. You got four elite players from the Atlantic all going over to the Pacific this year. The it's Pacific... Wild. I think the Pacific's going to be the most interesting division in hockey to start this year just because of how many changes we've seen over the offseason in all these teams. And, I, and, and the interesting thing is before um, Eric Carlson came to the Sharks, everyone was like, oh, you know, it's going to be a toss-up on who's going to, who's going to win the division. I Now I think it's pretty clear. Um, hey, I still think that people shouldn't sleep on the Coyotes. Oh, oh absolutely not. I mean, Coyotes are still going to be I mean, I'm not going to say the Coyotes are outright going to win a Pacific division title. You know, but I think that they're a playoff team. I think they're going to get one of those three uh, division slots. I'll tell you what I want to see next year, all right? I want to see San Jose, Vegas, Arizona, and L.A. all make the playoffs out of the Pacific Division. I want to see a San Jose, L.A. first round, and then a Vegas, Arizona first round. It would be pretty unreal. I love 
San Jose, LA first round. So you already got me there. Like those. I think a Vegas, Arizona first round would be incredible too. You know, when Vegas entered the league last year, a lot of people were saying, oh, great. Now Arizona finally has a natural rival. But then Vegas all of a sudden was just good out of nowhere. You know, it exceeded everyone's expectations. So that rivalry never really developed last year the way that people hoped it would, the way that the league hoped it would, because they thought it'd be good for both markets, you know, to have a natural rival in that way. And, you know, with the steps that you saw the Coyotes make at the end of last year, you know, they were one of the best teams in hockey. I was actually starting to write an article about, um, you know, the Coyotes and the Roadrunners and which direction they're heading in for next year. And between February 8th all the way to the uh, end of the season, the Coyotes uh, generated points on pace for 105 over an 82-game schedule. Think about that. That's how good they were in the last two months of the year. No, they, they definitely— Over, like, 38 yeah. games. And that's they, a pretty big sample size. Yeah, they definitely uh, kicked it into high gear somehow in that last— I mean, And then now they've got Galchenyuk. They've got a more mature Dylan Strom that's going to crack the roster. They've got Clayton Keller. Well, we'll see what happens with Keller. You know, sophomore slumps are always concerns with guys like that, but I still think Clayton Keller is going to be easily a 50-point guy this year. Yeah, I can definitely see it. And it's going to be great. I love At this, a minimum. I love this Pacific division. Um, but more on Carl, the whole Carlson thing. Yeah, sorry like, to get sidetracked. But, um, yeah, I do think that San Jose is the clear favorite now to win the Pacific. I know that a lot of people, especially uh, people the less are, initiated, are still going to say Vegas is the favorite to win. But especially with the Nate Schmidt def- uh, suspension, you got to take that into account. They're going to be missing Nate Schmidt for the first 20 games this year. That's a yeah. huge hole in their decor. What's crazy, though, is I've, I've seen some people say that this, this trade has all of a sudden made San Jose the favorite in the West, um, which that, is... I think it puts them on par with teams like Nashville and Winnipeg. I don't think it puts them ahead of teams like that because those teams are pretty darn good. Yeah, well, they're, fan- they're, they're, they're great, but I... It does give San Jose a huge shot. Do they have a better decor than uh, Nashville now in terms of offensive upside? I still think that all around uh, Nashville has the best uh, top four in the league. But in terms of offensive upside, I think that San Jose has the most dangerous blue line in the league. And you know, was, in terms of the ability for their blue of their blue liners. And of course, to we're really... also looking at the um, at, at, at forward too. I mean. To have to have Evander Kane um, and Timo Meyer and all those like other young guys who are just well, waiting to do extremely well. I mean, Logan Couture is locked down for for the rest of his career in in, in San Jose, and you got the other guys like that. Like, well, what's incredible about this deal is that you know I've been an Eric Carlson fan for a long time, and what people would always say about him is he plays on the Senators, and he just makes everyone on that team around him so much better. And imagine what Eric Carlson would be like on a team with better forwards and better players around him. Imagine how many points he would get. Imagine how much he would produce. And now you're finally going to see that in San Jose. Honestly, I think that Eric Carlson could be a 90-100 point guy on the San Jose Sharks. I'm going to make that bold prediction right now. 90 to 100 points for Eric Carlson that this year. He'll be in the Art Ross defense. race if he plays an 82-game season. A defenseman in the Art Ross race. That's awesome. Hasn't happened about, since like... uh, Bobby Orr. Whew. Wow. That's, wow, that's crazy. What if Eric Carlson won the Art Ross this year? 
He could. He very well could. I mean, especially since, especially with who is he, who, like, like you said, who is around now? He's around guys that. He has San Jose's top six at his disposal. Exactly. And also to think about, put it, put, put it this way, he's got Joe Thornton. And he's got two, yeah, well, that, yeah, he's got Joe Thornton, Logan Couture up front, you know, making sure that they win those key draws, you know, it's going to make Eric Carlson's job a lot easier as a defenseman, so there you go, that just opens up more ice and more time for Eric Carlson, and he's got guys like Evander Kane, Joe Pavelski, um, Thomas Hurd, Jonas Donskoy to pass to. And uh, San Jose is going to be a crazy fun team to watch this year. I mean, I'm by no means a Sharks fan, and I am going to want to tune in and watch Sharks hockey this year. Luckily, I do have my way of watching, so I'm going to be watching. I'm going to try to watch all 82 games, but obviously uh, school will be in the way a couple times. I might have to watch the Roadrunners, watch uh, U of A on other things. But, uh, I mean. Oh, my God, dude. I'm excited for you. It's going to be intense. I think what's funny is I keep thinking about the whole power play thing. There was a tweet that someone put out uh, where it was like, keep these guys, just like, so what do we do? Just keep these guys out for the whole two minutes? And then someone responded like, they wouldn't even be on for two minutes because they'd score in 40 seconds. Like, <laughs> Oh, my God. I mean, they could do that. I mean, look at what Washington did throughout the uh, entire Stanley Cup playoffs last year. Why Everyone used to make jokes about Washington because they basically had only one power play unit. Like the uh, TJ Oshie, Nick Backstrom, Alex Ovechkin, uh, John Carlson, and uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov basically played all the power play minutes last year for the Capitals in the playoffs. And I think you could see potentially a front-loaded uh, power play one unit like that for the uh, Sharks, do you not, Rob? What was that? Could you do you think you could see a front loaded power play one unit like that? That's just like unreal and insane, like we saw with uh, the Washington Capitals last year in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Because people used to joke about Washington, you know, they had only one power play unit during the playoffs. They had Alex Ovechkin, TJ Oshie, Nick Backstrom, Evgeny Kuznetsov, and John Carlson. They basically would play the entire power play. I'm sure you remember. Yeah. And um, with the type of talent that. Uh, San Jose now has maybe they could follow a similar model. Oh, they and just have well. an absolutely deadly first power play unit. Yeah, of perhaps Evander Kane, Joe Pavelski, Joe Thornton, and then Brent Burns and Eric Carlson on the uh, back end. That's just lethal. Imagine how well they'll be able to skate. Just those D men. I mean, maybe even uh, get Joe Thornton out of power play one and put in Logan Couture. You know, he's a bit younger and and can skate a little bit better. I will. The uh, the the only thing I can think of why I'd keep in Thornton is he is a pass first guy. He so is Carlson. Like it's, it, you got those guys together. Like I I can only think of really great things that can happen. I mean, I still remember Eric Carlson's 2017 uh, playoff performance. I mean, I'm saying this like this happened five years ago. It was only two years ago, <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, it was just breathtaking. You remember how he just carried that team, you know, and he had he was a point per game player, only had like two goals, but had like seventeen assists. If you could vote guys in as the Con Smythe winner out of just the final four, I think Carlson would have been the hands down winner in twenty seventeen. Oh yeah. I He was the best player in the world for two months in those playoffs, hands down. Which is funny though, because I believe that yeah, that year he Yeah, that he did not win the Norris trophy. No, he got robbed. That was Brett Burns. I know. 
he should have beat Brent Burns for it. As much as I like Brent Burns, I really like Brent Burns as a player, but about, Carlson should have won. Think about that, though, because I think they said this is, like, I, I'm not sure what year it was, whatever, but it says, like, you don't have it very often where you got two Norris Trophy winners on the same blue line. And then you have Drew right. Doughty just uh, a couple hours yeah. down the road. And um, Oliver ekman Larson is still one of the more underrated D-men in the league. And then you have Anaheim's blue line, which is, you know, really good too. You know, guys like Sammy Vatanen on there. And uh, the Pacific's going to be crazy. The West is just going to be strong in general. I mean, the Central's going to be great, and the Pacific's going to be great. Yeah, absolutely. It's final be... standings. Give me the final standings in the Pacific this year. Final standings in final standings. We'll in look the back Pacific. in April and see uh, how we did here. I'll give you mine. So, after. I mean, I did kind of agree with, with your uh, the four going to the playoffs. So San Jose, uh, Arizona, Vegas, L.A., Anaheim. Um, let's see, Calgary. Wait, where do you have Arizona in there? They're they were third. Okay. Yeah. No, no second. Yeah. <coughs> um and then yeah, and Calgary, Edmonton, and uh, Vancouver is a shoe in for yeah. eighth place. Yeah, they um, are going to be last. Oh god. Vancouver, Vancouver, Vancouver. Um yeah, okay, so I'm gonna go number one, San Jose, two, Vegas. Three Arizona. It's going to be a close race between Vegas and Arizona. I say they're going to be within a couple of points with of each other. But uh, You're talking like uh, like ninety five, ninety seven. I'm talking like one hundred five, one hundred three. Okay, we're going we're going over a hundred here. Oh yeah, we're going uh-huh. over a hundred for each of the top three teams. So where's San Jose? Are they like over, are they getting one ten? Yeah, like one ten, one eleven. I feel All like right. they're that good after this Carlson trade. I mean. It's not often that you see a team's two best players be their D-men. And D-men, I think, are especially offensive D-men. It's the hardest role to play in hockey as a player other than a goalie just because you have to be so athletic. You have to be able – you have to be capable of soaking up so many heavy minutes while skating really hard, you know, uh, generating offense, playing a 200-foot game. And um, Brent Burns and Eric Carlson are two of the only guys in the – among the only guys in the league that can really play that role well. I mean, uh, Brent Burns is just a couple seasons removed from a 27-goal season as a defenseman. Led the league in shots that year, didn't he? He did, yeah. Yeah. He did. So just think about how much offense San Jose's blue line is going to be generating. It's going to be absolutely incredible. I want to see the Nashville versus San Jose games this year. Yeah. To see – how those blue lines comparatively stack up to each other. That's going to be um, really, it's really be, interesting. It's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be a, a, a great game to watch. Like, and I think, it, like, I got to check and see the schedule and see when that when that's first going to happen. I mean, obviously, I'm going to have my shark speed no matter what, but, you know, might as well get NHL TV. And... Oh, like, I'll get NHL TV this year, and I'll definitely tune in for those. But I forgot to uh, give you my fourth place team, which is going to be L.A., then I'm going to say Anaheim barely misses the playoffs for the first time in, I think, since 2011. I think that's the last time they missed, if I'm not wrong. I believe so. I, yeah. I'd have to ch- I'd have, I'd have it's either to check 11 or 12 because I know they made it in 13 and every year since. Um, and then I think that the Alberta teams aren't going to be strong enough uh, to compete with the California and the desert teams. And then Vancouver is obviously going to be in the basement. I think that 
uh, Calgary and Edmonton, you can pretty much flip-flop between uh, sixth and uh, seventh place in the division. Um, but it's going to be an incredible season of hockey in the West, for sure. Let's talk a little bit about the East, specifically about the Atlantic, before we go into the Coyotes and the Roadrunners for a second. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't think I can remember a division being as top-heavy as the Atlantic in my entire life of watching hockey. I mean, think about the teams that are at the top of the Atlantic right now. you got teams like Tampa Bay, Boston, Toronto, and then Florida is pretty good too. And the minute you get outside of those four, you're, like, you're talking Ottawa, you're talking Detroit, talking Montreal. Buffalo is actually going to be pretty decent this year. But think about the gulf between the top three teams in the Atlantic and the bottom three teams in the Atlantic. Like how bad the Red Wings, the Senators, and the Canadians are going to be compared to how good the Leafs, the uh, Lightning, and the uh, Bruins are going to be. It's going it, it, to it's Isn't like, that incredible to think? The gap is just going to be just so massive. It's. I mean, like, you could potentially see the bottom three teams in the league in the standings come from the same division this year, especially with the Red Wings now losing Henrik Zetterberg. Montreal lost Pacioretty. Ottawa lost Carlson, Hoffman, and they're potentially going to lose Duchesne next summer because Duchesne was saying, you know, I want to stay in Ottawa, but I'm really curious to see what happens with Matt Stone and Eric Carlson. Matt Stone's only under contract for one more year, so he easily could get moved at the deadline. I'd be surprised if he doesn't, given the direction that Ottawa is heading in right now. Uh, Carlson's gone, obviously, and never coming back. Nope. Um, well, never say never, but likely not coming back. 95%. Yeah. Unless we're talking about his retirement years and years and years down the road. But. Well, his wife is from Ottawa. That's what you have to remember. A lot of the, like, when a lot of the rumors were circulating, a lot of people were saying, like, oh, Eric Carlson likes being a senator. He likes being in Ottawa. His wife's from Ottawa, whatever. He likes being in Ottawa, but I don't know if he, like. Liked playing there. I mean, yeah, I mean, he was emotional. He, was. he took the puck from his last game at the uh, Canadian Tire Center last year. That's when everyone really got suspicious that he was going to get moved over the offseason. He, he, he kind of knew. Yeah. Um, it's and really sad, though. I just really feel for Senators fans. I mean, have we ever seen such a quick turnaround from contender to – were they ever even really contender, or did they just have one really good season? Let's just address that point really quick here. I mean, they were pretty decent. I wouldn't say they were great. They weren't a bona fide contender. People weren't picking them to win the cup heading into that playoff. No, they were they were a shocker. They shouldn't have gone that far. No, um, they had a, they were the only team from the East that year, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, that had a negative goal differential. That's heading yes, into those playoffs. Yes. I remember talking about that. That was that, yeah. that was that was and I was like, wait, I was like, how are these guys still in? I'm like what? A guy called Eric Carlson. Yeah, there you go. And now he is a San Jose Shark. Captains next year for the Sharks. Does Carlson get an A? Um, the thing is, Pavelski is going to keep the C, of course. Of course. But, Great captain. But your A's, you're thinking how it was before. It's going to be Thornton is going to have an A, no matter what. Couture. Maybe you could do like Couture for the home games, Carlson for the away. I've seen teams do that in the yeah, past. Yeah, that's an option because there's just like so many guys who are potential leaders. But you don't need an A necessarily. Like I remember when the Wings won the Cup back in 08, um, Pavel Datsuk was not a permanent alternate captain for the Red Wings. Um, it was him and Chris Draper that alternated how, I just said, you know, home versus away games, um, wearing the A and not. 
And well, here's and he, Dotsik was their best player back then. Well, Nick Lisserum was I mean, pretty darn good too. Here's also a perspective. Let's just say they uh, the Sharks don't give um, Carlson an A. Um, Thornton is very likely in his last year in hockey. Um, It'd be great to see him win the cup. You know something? I made a tweet about this, and like this is just me speculating because I love specul- like speculating and all those like um, you know somehow randomly connected things. Mm-hmm. But Raymond Bork won the Stanley Cup after saying one more year, twenty-two years in the NHL, he finally wins it. But you, you know what? You know what season Joe Thornton is in right now? Twenty-two. He's in twenty-two. Well, what I like about Joe Thornton is that he didn't jump ship and he didn't go to some random contender like uh, Ray Bork did. Ray Bork left the Boston Bruins after spending basically his entire career there, his first 20 seasons, and then played two seasons in Colorado. And finally wins it. And then finally wins it. Now, this is, that's, that's, this is what would potentially make Joe Thornton's story more special because he's been with the Sharks since 05. Oh, he's given his and, heart and soul to that team. Yeah, and he says that he's, he, he doesn't want to do anything else. He, do, he wants to live and die. By the teal, like, and how about those thirds? By the way, do you see the the, the black blackouts? Thirds? Black, I think they're all. I'm right. happy like, to see them back. I like yeah. the black sharks jerseys always. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I'm like the the logo, like, and how it looks. I mean, like, it could be better, but I like blackouts. It like it just looks great. And I don't know. It's just it's absolutely unreal. I mean, I think that they've had a better offseason than even Toronto has now. I think they're a stronger team than Toronto is. Like, I'm almost happy for them that they missed out on the John Tavares sweepstakes because they didn't really need him, if you think about it, with the no, centers they, that they, they had. They, they didn't. I was just like, you know, it was great to think of how lethal the f- offense would be with him. Like, Yeah, but now you, I'd take Eric Carlson over John Tavares oh, any day. Oh, I think Eric Carlson's got, a better player. Because you got an offense defenseman, like a guy who can play both sides of the— guy that can play 30 minutes a night. Yeah. What if you had Burns and Carlson each playing— th- I know this is unrealistic, and I know like from playing the game and watching the game and everything that this is unrealistic, but what if in those really big games Pete DeBoer had Eric Carlson and Brent Burns each playing 30 minutes a night, and then he's just swapping guys okay. in and out Here, next to each of them? Here's, an, here's, another, here's a better idea of what they would do, um, where you essentially get uh, Vlasic, Burns, and Carlson— broken up so that they each and then like they're each on put Vlasic down on the third I you know I mean you could see that but I think it's really good to have a shutdown D-man with one of those offensive D-men you know just because like having a guy like Edward Vlasic next to you like Mark Edward Vlasic next to you um really gives a guy like Eric Carlson or Brent Burns the freedom to play the way that they want to because they know that he's going to cover for them so I don't know about that, but, I mean, it could happen. I mean, it could. I mean, like, just so you can maximize, like, or just even out the minutes for all of them and, like, just make – you don't have to, like, you Just know. have a really deep defensive core, always have a top-tier defenseman yeah. out on the I mean, ice no matter what. And, and, again, you got those three, but the other three – But Vla- Edward, still... Mark Edward Vlasic fits in so well he with would... either one of those guys. Oh, That's abso- the only abso- thing. Absolutely. I mean, I could still see, you know, pairing with the other two, uh, Brendan Dillon, Joachim Ryan, um, and – why am I blanking on – Justin Braun, yeah. Um, those guys are still going to be, you know – 
key contributors in that defense. And, and see, that's why it doesn't matter. Like, who'd you guys lose that you said was your sixth D-man? Dylan DeMello. Yeah, see, like, that's why it doesn't matter that you guys lost him, because guess who's replacing him? Eric Carlson. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's, I, it's absolutely incredible. All right, so just to kind of wrap off the hour. Um, yeah, let's just yeah talk briefly. We're going to talk briefly about the Yotes and the uh, Roadrunners. So the road run, the Roadrunners and well, the, first of all, the Yotes, they had a uh, rookie camp just this last week. They did, um, and uh, part of it was a, it was in the ice den of over in Scottsdale, and the other mm-hmm. part was in Vegas, and um, and the uh, the Tonkett wasn't coaching. It was the Roadrunners coach, Jay Veriday. Um And uh, the new Roadrunners coach, by the way, so if you can hear it, it was, it's a different guy, not Mac Van Ryan. That guy went over to St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a good way to kind of see um, this new Roadrunners coach in action. And, I, you know, I think it's going to be pretty good. He, let's see. Yeah, he was the. Uh, he was in the USHL last year. Yeah, he year. was in the USHL. It looks like. Okay. Yeah, let me go bring up the uh, information here. Oh, he. Oh, he actually came from the OHL from the uh, from Kingston. Okay, so they're going a similar route that they did with Mike Van Ryan because Mike Van Ryan was fresh out of the OHL also when uh, the Roadrunners hired him. Um. You know, I don't know what the Roadrunners are going to look like next year, though, especially with guys like Dylan Strom is going to make the Coyotes this year. I think Ryan Merkley, or I mean not Ryan Merkley. Nick Merkley. Nick Merkley. Sorry, got confused with your boy over there. It's all good. Um, Nick Merkley is going to be given every opportunity to make the team. Lawson Krause might be a stretch to make the team, but he nevertheless could. Laurent Dauphin needs to stay healthy. I think Dauphin's going to be in the AHL for another but he year. Needs to, he needs to stay healthy to stay on the team. Right. Like, and then who else? Capobianco, I think, is going to stay with the Roadrunners he, this year. He, he will stay. Um, um, but now we have Alex Galchenyuk uh, slotting in as a center. Apparently, John Chaika is planning on using Galchenyuk as a center. So now you have Stepan and Galchenyuk as your top two line centers, which is pretty good for the Coyotes, I think. And then yeah. you, and then you got third Dylan Strom. Third Dil- third line center Dylan Strom, and or Dvorak. You got a. They're really strong up the middle. You got a deep center core right there. Like they really do, and then um, you know you got guys like Clayton Keller on the wing. You got Michael Grabner now, who's well capable of scoring a good twenty five goals for the Coyotes. Um, this, the, I think that Galchenyuk Galchenyuk was a player that really wanted to play center in Montreal, but Montreal wouldn't let him play center just because for whatever reason, um, Mark Bergevin and then uh, Claude Julien. And then who's Michael Terrian before him, the two head coaches, they both didn't like Galchenyuk as a center for whatever reason. They thought he wasn't responsible enough in his D zone. But the Coyotes are going to give him that opportunity. They're going to give him the ice. They're going to give him the opportunity to make plays, you know, and all that. So I honestly think Galchenyuk is going to flourish as an Arizona Coyote, and he could be a 60-70 point guy for the Yotes easily. If you look at what he's done in his career, he's still super young. He's only 24. Coyotes are acquiring a guy with a ton of upside still. Absolutely. It's, in Alex Galchenyuk. It is going to be crazy. Um, I know. Um, and they're only giving up Domi. Domi was a fine hockey player, but Galchenyuk's an upgrade, no question. I know. we. I, I was uh, helping out. I didn't write anything, but I, I was part of the voting process for this. Um, but uh, Five for Howling, you know, one of the sites I, work, I write for, right. um, had a uh, top 25 Coyotes under 25 
and of course number one was Keller, but um, I but Yao Chenyuk was in that top three because has to like, be yeah easily. I think he was number. Th- was Strom too? Um, no, Strom was like. I think he didn't make the top five. I think that's a that's um, a real shame. I I put I put him higher, um, but then everyone see know. that's people not watching enough Roadrunners hockey. I mean, Five for Howling has some great people writing for it, including you. But if you saw any of Dylan Strom's hockey last year in Tucson, you know how good of a player he was. Oh, he was fantastic. Um, and then we got to touch on uh, Oliver Ekman Larson being named the fourth captain in Arizona slash Phoenix Coyotes team history. That's great for him. Um, well, well, well deserved. Very and great decision by the team to do so. Yep, um, longest he, tenured player. Not 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 just longest tenured player, but just overall like just might be their best player, best player, uh, leader. Uh, we're talking just a guy who loves being a Coyote. Do you know what record Oliver Ekman Larson holds? That's a really weird one. Most twenty goal seasons by Swedish defenseman. <laughs> Consider how many good um, defensemen Sweden has produced in the NHL, and Oliver Ekman Larson has the most twenty goal seasons among all of them in the entire in the entire history of the National Hockey League. Okay, number five, Dylan Strom. All right, five. Did Dylan you have Strom. him at three? Were you the highest rank at three? Yeah, I think that was me. Okay, um, I would have put him even at two. Perlini was four. Right. Run is... Oh, Chikrin is incredible. Oh, I would have had a really hard time putting him lower. Uh, I love calling him Chikrin because that's what it looks like it says. Um, Galchenyuk is two. Incredible. One of the best skaters I've ever seen, Jacob Chikrin. And, uh, I remember watching him two seasons ago, like prior to the Roadrunners' first season here in Tucson, and they had a uh, red versus white scrimmage here in Tucson for the Coyotes, and I remember – I didn't know what Chikrin's number was. I'm ashamed to say that I didn't going into the camp. I actually pulled up the roster from the previous year, and it said number six was like some random dude. And then I looked up later. I was like, oh, shoot, that was Jacob Chikrin. That was number six. And I was watching him having no idea who he was, and I was just like, wow, this guy can really move the puck. He can really skate. He's just such a solid, dependable two-way defenseman, really just a uh, multi-tool of a uh, hockey player. And he could end up being the Coyotes' number one D-man in the future. He's... um, Super underrated in terms of a uh, young defenseman in the league, I think. Just think about now, now, now that actually, when I pulled up this article from Five for Howling, these are the top five. And these are just five of the guys. And you got other guys who are still phenomenal. Oh, the Coyotes, within They're, the next three years or so, they could become one of the best teams in hockey. And Auntie Ranta looked like a Vezina Trophy winning goaltender in the back half of last season when he finally, yeah, when he finally grew into that starter role. So um, it's gonna be really curi- it's gonna be really interesting to watch Coyotes hockey this year. Absolutely, and with that, uh, we just reached our uh, one hour mark, so we have to sign off here, unfortunately. But we will talk more about it, uh, more about stuff next week on the show. We might have a different time, but or we can keep to the same time. Depends on. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But with that said, thank you everybody for tuning in to Inside the Glass on KAMP Camp Student Radio. I'm Rob Liano alongside Eric Clark, and we'll see you guys next week.